Hello and welcome to the latest edition of Business Leader Insight uh, today, uh, brought to you by our sponsor, uh, Nightstone Capital. Uh, for those of you who don't know about Business Leader, please do go visit us at www.businessleader.co.uk. We're a national uh, media group and we have a print magazine, a big events network and also lots of online uh, activity. This live interview series is seeing us bring inspiring business figures. And for today's interview, we're speaking to Ollie Phillips, who is a former rugby union international adventurer and leadership expert. So let us begin. So uh, welcome, Ollie. Hi, matey. How are you? I like how you've kept it simple. You know, your name's Ollie, my name's Ollie. So, you know, <laughs> that, that's amazing. We, we, we've both got great names, Ollie. So, I think this should exactly. be amazing. It already gets off to a flying start. I love it. <laughs> exactly. Well, no, welcome today, Ollie. It'd be good to just uh, initially start by you uh, talking about your career, really. Yeah, thank I mean, thanks ever so much for, for inviting me on and everything else like that. I mean, I guess my, my background, where, where most people might know me from, is from. Uh, playing rugby. I played 12 years professionally for three different clubs, Newcastle Falcons, Stade Francais and Gloucester. Uh, 11 of those years I was playing for, for England, uh, England Sevens in particular, and for about six of those I was I was captain. Um, and in 2008-2009, clearly like a fallow year, a bit of you know, dearth of talent or whatever else you might call it, but I won an award for as the you know, best player in the world in 2008-2009. Um, got injured at a World Cup in 2014, decided that actually I better go and do something else um try my hand at something else so to date been part of like a, a collective um group of people that have raised we've raised circa 2.7 million now for three different charities the wooden spoon which is a children's charity um the alzheimer's society and cancer research uk and what we've done is we've just done a whole series of adventures all around the world so we set a guinness world record at the north pole i uh, went and sailed around the world uh we set two Guinness World Records on Mount Everest. And uh, we've, I've driven a rickshaw across the whole of India, cycled across the whole of America and been up five or six different mountains. So, you know, that is a very fast summary for you, Ollie. Um, in terms of what I do now professionally in my day job, uh, I run my own motivation uh, teamwork leadership business called Optimist Performance. And I am a director at PwC. So I lead um, I lead our direct relationship with government and the Department of Culture, Media and Sport for, for PwC. No, no, no. Th thanks, Holly, for, for that, that intro. Obviously, yeah, you, 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 you're a busy man and, and you've kind of done lots in your career. I just want to focus on, you know, you mentioned the North Pole and, and the Mount Everest experience. I mean, what, what did that kind of teach you about, about yourself when you, you, know, you were going through those extreme uh, conditions? I, mean, I think there's probably two components of it, right? There's obviously the, the physical aspect of it that is challenging. You know, in the North Pole, when a you know a blizzard or storm hits you at sort of minus 35, minus 40 degrees, you know, how quickly can you react and you know, how how fast can the team all come together to make sure that everyone stays safe, you get your tents up and et cetera, et cetera. So that's you know the one side. Uh, and on the other side, for example, on Mount Everest, you know, there's the the human element of it, which is probably the, the biggest challenge of, of it all. Cause I think the physical side, you just, you know, grit your teeth, you know, you're just bloody minded and you get on with it. Whereas on Mount Everest, when stuff happens that you really don't expect, an example would be one of the lead guys in our group, one of the team members of the 28 that went up with us, as we got to the point where we were going to set the Guinness World Record, um, he was pretty ill and it ended up transpiring that his lung collapsed on him. We were too high up the mountain. We were six and a half thousand meters up the mountain by this point, so no helicopter could reach him. 
So we had then had to be he had to be medically evacuated off of the mountain on the back of a yak in the pitch black. Eight hours going down a mountain in the pitch black on Mount Everest is you know, pretty scary. He actually stopped breathing as 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 he got to the bottom. So you know all of that sort of stuff is is the human impact, like the actual emotional trauma that people go through, and then actually how do you keep people on you know on side focused on the on the on the mission if you like and and um and make sure that there's still the buy-in from that sort of collective so th those are probably the two challenges that i've you know found on on well uh, over over all of the challenges that i've done there's the physical and then there's the the mental no thanks i mean that that, that that's yes that, that's an, an extreme experience and obviously your your, your career has as you know required you you to be a leader now you, you mentioned your your consultancies i'd just like to focus on on the topic of uh, leadership now i mean what insight would you give to our kind of readers and viewers about how you manage diverse characters in a team on something like an expedition or or, or in a day-to-day -day business so the, the, i mean the, the biggest success that i i got and i found pr probably my learnings from actually doing uh, the say this thing with the clipper race which is a sailing around the world race was that now, if I was if I was really going to get people to believe in my message, and trust me, and um, and deliver on ultimately deliver on my aspirations and my goals, which in that instance were winning the race, you know, my goals didn't necessarily resonate and replicate with other people. You know, just because I wanted to do something didn't mean like you, Ollie, for example, want to do the same thing as me just because we're in the same team. So I needed to invest a lot of time into understanding why those people moved, like. What made them get up in the morning? What motivated them? Why did they actually come to work? What was the reasons you know, for it? Um, and then I needed to feed that, you know. So I needed to make sure that I was delivering on the promise and the the hopes and expectations that they had. In the in the example of the Clipper race, certain people came because they wanted to have you know, the experience of a lifetime. They didn't care about winning or losing. They wanted to come on this race so that they could have this thrill of like being up the front of the bow and the waves are crashing over and getting thrown around. So my role as a leader was to make sure that that got delivered to them. And then I needed to make sure that I was thinking about how I could frame that towards my goals at the same time, which was, okay, how can we be competitive and win at the same time? So my top tip for that would be, you've got to make sure you invest so much time into understanding why the members of your team are there and what makes them move and then feed that. Okay, no, th thanks, uh, Ollie. And obviously, you know, everybody knows that the last five months have been a huge challenge for for leaders across across you know industry. And I just want to get get your kind of take on uh, what advice you know would you give to leaders during a crisis when things aren't going well? I mean, how how do you make sure you know you communicate with staff well? And and, and what 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 would you consider kind of best practice? I mean, it's different. Uh, it's different strokes for different folks, right? But I think the the most important thing is consistency in message. You know, you, you've got to make sure that particularly in times of crisis and times of panic, there is clear, concise communication and there's no real sign of panic. You know, when you know, when things are going badly, you, people will turn and lean on people that are confident, they're calm, they're collected and they can deliver a really clear, uh, clear message to people that is easy for them to process. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean you've got to get it right. I think lots of leaders feel like they've got to get they've got to have the right answer. In this instance, for example, right now in COVID, nobody knows what the right answer is, right? You just got to make a series of plays, a series of bets, and deliver against those to the best of your ability. Um, and, and I think the crucial part is making sure that you, you know, you you show your vulnerability. You show that you know 
ultimately you don't have all the answers, but this is what you think is the right way of going. And if you've done your job as a leader, the people in within your groups will trust you that you know they'll back you because you've established a great rapport, a good level of trust and integrity with them, and they'll come with you on that journey. And and if you know, as a leader, you're probably educated enough to know your market well enough that you, that it's maybe not 100% the right call, but you know, 80%, 90% of it is is the right thing to do. Yeah, thanks, Alan. And, and you know, quite rightly, the, there's been a huge focus in the last few years on on mental well-being of, of employees. But sometimes, you know, the, the person at the top. Uh, who is the leader in the company, you know, the CEO or, or, or whatever, you know, did you find that, that that needs to kind of change a bit more in terms of leaders can be a bit more open about actually, you know, you know, this is really tough. I don't, like you said, don't have all the answers and just finding ways to kind of cope and, and be more resilient. Yeah, I think one of the great things that's come out of COVID and actually that has come out of, you know, this method of communication, if you like, now doing calls over, uh, you know, over Zooms, Hangouts, whatever, over, you know, virtual methods, um, it's been it's kind of humanized people a bit more right you know i've i've had experiences where i've been on client calls my two-year-old daughter's barged through the room screamed out that i've got a classic case three weeks ago i was on the phone to a client my daughter burst through the door screamed daddy 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 i've just done a poo and i was like oh my god what am i gonna do like inside i was dying absolutely dying but my client loved it like found it hilarious if you like it, it it gives an insight into people's lives like who they are and and people i think appreciate and understand the complexity of the current situation so i think this in itself has exposed people's vulnerabilities and i think leaders are starting to realize or the good ones anyway that you, you, you don't have to have all the answers and people will appreciate that honesty transparency of sometimes sort of saying, look, I don't know, but I'm going to back you as an individual or back my team to figure out the answer. Yeah. So it's brought a greater collective. No, no, thanks. I had uh, uh, an interesting uh, insight there. And, um... <laughs> don't worry, she's not going to burst in now. So just, yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it, it's, it's fine if she does. There's no problem at all. Yeah, classic. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Disaster. And just, just sticking on leadership, one, one question that, that a lot of our readers want, wanted to know is, is where, where you have a team and kind of, you know, the majority are going in the same direction, but you maybe have someone in that team who's quite negative, you know, they're not, they're not kind of, you know, buying into it. How would, do you have any kind of advice on how best to deal with people like that? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, there's obviously pro stages of that progression, right? And ultimately the end, the end one is, okay, you know what fundamentally you're the wrong person for this group you know you're you know you're the poison in this group it's it's distracting everybody and you have to get rid of them right unfortunately that is sometimes has to happen i've had that in a lot of my sports teams and whatever else like that but you know you don't want that really because more often than not you've invested lots of time money energy resource into training this person to be effective in your group and that that time costs you know it costs a lot right it's that's the hardest thing to recoup you can't recoup so, you know, the stages that I try and go through with all that, if there's someone who's being problematic or not happy, it normally stems because something's not right within, you know, their day to day, whether it's the, the job or function that they're doing, life, life at home, you know, away from work, something like that. But if you're if you're at that level where you've established the levels of trust and integrity with people, you can have those open and honest conversations with them. You can ask them, look, what's going on? And you can try and pivot and change things. Right. And if at the end of the day, you've tried to be amenable and adjust the situation to help them 
to achieve their goals and make their life easier and whatever else. And you've invested time in understanding what, what works for them. If they then still sort of take the Michael and aren't delivering and are still the poison, you've kind of got great re- recourse then of like, look, I've done everything for you here and, and, and therefore, you know, exit stage door, stage door, right. But no, normally if you've got that level and that rapport with people, they'll be so invested in you that they won't want to let you down. So, so they'll, they'll deliver. Thanks, Holly. So some interesting insight there. And one, just one final uh, question on, on, on leadership. For, for you and in, in your career, in your life, uh, who, who are the leaders who have kind of stood out for you and the, 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 the people that you particularly admire? Um, well, one that sort of stands out, I guess, that had one of the greatest influences on me from my, you know, if you like, my adolescence growing up in uh, and my early stages of professionalism as a was our fitness coach actually at uh, Newcastle Falcons, um, a little short, fat um, Geordie guy called Steve Black. He was the mentor actually behind Johnny Wilkinson. Um, and he t- he sort of, he came up with, he's got a litany of amazing sort of quotes and motivational things that he used to say. But some of the crucial things that he said to me at the start of my career and they're really relevant were, you know, one thing was he said, you know, the opportunity of a lifetime only exists within the lifetime of the opportunity. So a bit of carpe diem, seize the day. Um, equally, don't worry about all the other sort of distractions going on and around you. Um, and then the other thing he sort of said to me was that you, know, you got here for a reason, right? You got here based on something that we've seen, some sort of X factor that's got you into the group. Um, so make sure you maximize that. So his sort of message was, you know, maximize your strengths and manage your weaknesses. And that was because he was like, look, you're here because you know my role was to score tries, right? He was like, you're a great finisher. You can beat people one-on-one, score tries in the corner, right? If somebody, if you focus all your energy and time on that, then you're always going to have value. You're going to be up here, right? He said, what happens normally is people sort of say, oh, you're rubbish at all these things. People forget about what they're good at. They spend all the time on these things they're rubbish at and they just end up in the middle and they end up mediocre. And then they get sacked because they sort of say, well, look, you know, we're not, we're not going to employ you anymore because you don't score any tries. And they, and they turn around and say, well, hold on, you told me to work on my tackling and everything else like this. And they say, yeah, but, you know, you, know, you don't score anymore. And then, the, the, you know, you, you sit there sort of dumbfounded. So that was probably the biggest message I ever learned was, you know, maximise my strengths and manage my weaknesses. I just want to move on now. You mentioned your, your role as a, a director at PwC and you also have your own uh, business consultancy. What what are the, the kind of main things that leaders are coming to uh, you know uh, to to you with at the moment the main challenges what what are you seeing in 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 the kind of business space at the moment i mean obviously there's a you know, the, the world has changed right the dynamic has changed as to how we how we do work how people interact with each other and equally you know when when it's going to stop you know so lots of leaders are coming to us sort of saying okay well look what does the what does our new ways of working look like for us right how do we make sure we manage our people properly moving forward. I think one thing that COVID has done has made people realise that actually being in an office every single day is now longer, no, is no longer paramount, right? So how do we encourage people still of the benefits of coming in? So, you know, office space is now going to become like a communal centre for conversation and, you know, almost like a social engagement piece. And actually your day-to-day admin, you can be doing from the confines of your home. You can do conference calls from, from your home. And for leaders, it's establishing trust in that process, you know, trust. Okay. Before, you know, if everyone's in the office, we can kind of monitor what's going on when people are at home, 
how do we make sure that they're delivering on on their on their work streams so that's definitely a huge one like okay how do we culturally as an organization now adapt to this new norm and facilitate people's wants and needs because rightly so people are still scared paranoid worried about you know covid um but with within all of that how do we how do we provide that environment where people can flourish so that our business continues to grow um, and adapts to, to to the new normal and the, the really great chief execs, the really great leaders of organization are embracing that and taking it head on um, and are investing in that rather than some which are kind of thinking, you know, when will things get back to normal? And, you know, the answer to that is nobody knows and they probably never will, right? So, you know, it's the, it's those that are really sort of taking the ball, embracing it and taking the ball by the horns that are, that are reaping the re- rewards. Thanks. Just one final question for you. You mentioned there about that new kind of, you know, blended work or or the future work. I mean, you've had companies like Twitter saying that people can work from home forever, but you mentioned the social aspect there of the office. I I think that's that's really, really important. So so do you you still see the office playing a a role for businesses? Yeah, I mean, 100 percent. Right. Because I think if I I use my organization as an example, right, we are sent we have two huge offices in. I work from London, but we've got them all over the all over the world. But we have two in London, one in Embankment, one in in London Bridge. There are th- eleven thousand people that exist across those two offices. So it's not you know, they are communities in themselves, right? So they that eleven thousand people service the you know, Marks and Spencers, the Costas, the the, you know, the 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 small little boutique coffee shop on the corner, right? They that they are the lifeblood of those businesses and those organisations. So if, if if people stop going into the to the workplace then all of that stops, right? So, you know, the economy, the business cycle, if you like, all grinds to a halt. So it's obviously the, the social element of work is, is critical, but also the, the economic benefit of people coming into these sort of central areas rather than being located in their, in their homes. The converse argument of that is that actually some of the more remote rural areas where people live in their homes will possibly start to thrive. So you might start to see greater, you know, if you like a, a, a greater breakdown and um, devolution of power, if you like, so London becoming less of a focus and everywhere else becoming a bit more important because local communities start to thrive because there's more and more people and the hustle and bustle is in there. Um, but but I think you know, the, the importance of me being able to look you in the whites of your eyes and, and emotionally understand how you're feeling, where you're going, I, I can't get that through this. I, I, I can get close but i can't get exactly that and i think it's so important that whether it's clients or teams whatever it might be the i think the the role of of the office place is, is still has a, a major one and the challenge for leaders and organizations are to make sure that they are safe and you know covid friendly so that people feel secure coming into them i think I, yeah I, I think that's a, a a really good insight there there ollie and and, and definitely uh hit the nail on the head and that i mean those, those were the, the questions from me ollie. now and yeah and thank you for that we'll just now move on to some from our audience that have been sent in so we've had one come in here how, how do you keep yourself motivated in business and did you did your experience in sport help with this um if i'm honest like i found that a major challenge right because when i first started and transferred over from you know, the world of sport or adventure, or whatever, into into PwC, I find I really struggled to find relevance and credibility. Right, I, I all the things that traditionally I was good at 
were no longer really relevant in in the workplace. You know, it, I didn't think it was going to be much benefit if I could run up and down the, the flight of stairs fifty times faster than anybody else, or you know, smash someone at a photocopy machine. Right, that it didn't really work. Right, that wasn't going to be of any benefit at all. So I was coming as a director into an organization that was full of lots and lots of specialists. I had been a specialist in the past, and yet I was now having to be a generalist, right? Uh, you know, when I play rugby, I was a I was a winger. You gave me the ball, I scored tries. That was my role, and I could do it relatively well. Going into PwC, I couldn't I couldn't talk to a client about SOX compliance or you know their their VAT issues that they've got or you know, whatever it might be. You know, my role then was to be the guy that sat down with Ollie and sort of said, look, mate, what's the problem? What are you wrestling with? What's the challenge? Let me go and find within my organization the relevant people, the relevant specialists can help solve that. And that that really took me a lot of time to get used to. And it's, you know, it's called imposter syndrome, you know, which some people may have heard of, but you know, whereby you know you feel like you don't really have any value of any credibility within within the team, within your new environment. And it took me a good two years nearly two and a half years to do that. I went and did an executive MBA at Cambridge uh, at the same time. And, and that really helped. That helped sort of broaden my learning and understanding of, you know, the workplace and whatever else to to equip me with that. But yeah, I really struggled with that at the beginning. And thanks, Ollie, and, and uh, honest insight there. And I would say that running up the stairs fast is a good skill, though. So, <laughs> well, I still <laughs> practice it. I'm going to still try. But it, does, it doesn't get me any bonuses or any recognition at work. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Fair play, Ollie. And uh, another question: Do you think there's enough focus on getting young sports stars to think about their their post sport careers? I mean, like 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 you have. I mean, one hundred percent. Okay, I, one. I, I've been part of a you know mental health campaign for, within rugby called um, called Lift the Weight because of the you know I guess the you know the mental stresses, depression, whatever that, that players get that when they transition out of it. So there's a you know there's a cliff edge that people fall off at the end of it. So 100% I do. I do think it's important. What I think people might not have any sympathy or whatever for empathy for this, but it's also very difficult to communicate because when you are living and breathing your dream job, right, and you f you feel, look incredible every week, you play in front of 15, 20,000 people. If you play for England, 80,000 people, you get all these endorphins. I mean, you literally are, you know, king of the world kind of thing. And all you want to do is invest all your time into that and, and into doing that. So, and nobody ever thinks it's going to happen to them. So when someone says, oh, like, you know, go and do something else or go do a work experience and, you know, sit in here, you've got to be very, very motivated and focused on that. And and I, and I think it's it's definitely the right thing to do. We need to do more of it. Players need to acknowledge it more, but but it's a, it's a, it's a very different, difficult message, if you like, to process and digest with the, with the player. And thanks um, for that. I've got a question here that, that's come in uh, via social media. Um, Ollie, excellent words. And how do you stay resilient? And what advice would you give to someone who's making the first step into business in the entrepreneurial world? Well, first thing I say is like, good luck. Good on you. I mean, I, I love people that are, I love meeting all of these incredible sort of entrepreneurial brains that are having a go. So first and foremost, Stephen, you know, massive congratulations to you for that. You know, I think, you know, the important thing with all these things is obviously do your homework at the beginning, right? So make sure you do your due diligence and make sure that your your venture or whatever it might be is not just your own personal pipe dream, right? There's actually some market validation that people want it, people value it. Um, you know, I think one of the greatest things I was ever told was that 
there are so many amazing ideas out in the world, right? But are you solving a particular a problem at that you know that the world is ready to solve at that particular point in time? There's been loads of amazing ideas that have come up that have just been the, you know the right product but at the wrong time. So just make sure you're you know you're solving a problem that the world is ready to solve at that point in time. Um, and then from your own sort of personal emotional state, um, I would I would say don't fear. You know, it's a classic that people have said in the past, right? But you know, don't fear failure. You know, take that as sort of lessons and an opportunity to to learn and grow more. So your energy, Stephen, I imagine will be enormous. Your enthusiasm for your product, you know, the excitement of of building this thing that you've got is going to be amazing. Don't be discouraged by the odd setback. Okay. You know, take that as an opportunity to learn, to pivot, to do things differently, so that now you can you can really go and conquer the world. But um, but equally, listen to what's going on around you. Right? Don't be ignorant. Listen to the feedback, even if it's not stuff you want to hear, because it could be the critical bit that 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 tips you uh, in on the direction to success. So, I mean, best of luck, Stephen. Whatever your business is, I don't know what it is, but good man. No, thanks, um, Ollie. That's. Um... Really good advice, and thanks for the, for the question. Yeah, a, a nice one here. What's the best advice you've ever received, uh, Ollie? What is the best advice I've ever received? Um, uh, well, one of the best things I've, I've ever learned is, you know, I, I always say I'm not here for a, you know, I'm here for a good time, not for a long time, right? So, so make sure you you re you really go for it. You know, you really you really throw caution to the wind. And, and have a go, you know, throw a punch. Um, and I, I think, as I say, that, that probably comes back to what I was, you know, was told when I was just starting out of, you know, of the opportunity of a lifetime exists within the lifetime of the opportunity. One of the things actually I think that translate the, translates the best now for me was when we used to play for England, we used to have this training session where we had to get into the death zone. Sounds a bit dramatic, right? But basically take a heart rate to a level that was so disgusting that you felt horrific so that when it came to a game time, you were going to be fine. And the whole premise was the slogan that our coach at that time, Ben Ryan, used to talk around was we had to get comfortable at being uncomfortable. Now, all I hear in all this business jargon all the time is like people have, particularly in COVID, people have got to get comfortable at being uncomfortable. And I had that experience at PwC when I first started out. And I think it's so relevant and, and pertinent now as to what people are going through. Of You might not like the new normal, things have shifted there'll be pros there'll be cons the crucial challenge for everybody and particularly for leaders is that yeah you've got to get comfortable with this new normal with this new this level of uncomfortability if that makes sense even if that is even a word um but you know if you can and you can embrace that and and take that head on you're gonna you're gonna pay it's gonna pay dividends for you no, thanks ollie that, that that is a word now um and uh just one fact that people can't find out about you online Whew. well i mean now with the, the world of social media you know, instagram facebook twitter there's there's not much that's left out there but you know i think what what people probably don't realize is i've been a director at pwc for five years um but i am a father mar I'm married two kids two young kids one who's two one who's six months old so I get the, if you like, I get the challenges of family and work and, and whatever else right now. Um, and also at the same time, uh, you know, I am head coach for Wales women uh, at rugby at the same time as, as doing my PwC. So often, some I think sometimes people can limit their own sort of 
horizons because you know they think they can't do things i think you're your own biggest critic right most of the time so so one of the greatest things ever someone has said to me is you know shoot for the stars you might end up on the moon right so so one thing that people can't find out about me on online is that i am an eternal optimist you know i i, I love talking to people about their success stories i love encouraging people all the time so you know i'd love for anyone who's listening on this reach out please get in touch i want to I want to hear more stories and share life's about stories and I want to hear other people's. Thanks, um, Ollie. That, that was a question. That's a good point, actually. I mean, is there a way that people can get in touch with you if they want to, 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 to share their success and also learn more about your, your, your mentoring? Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. I mean, obviously, so my Twitter handles, Instagram yeah. handles, all that is at OlliePhillips11. Um, if people want to reach out on LinkedIn, yeah, by all means, just um, look me up, OlliePhillips on LinkedIn. And of course, my you know my website uh, is optimistperformance.com. So you know, take a look at that. Throw back any criticisms you like, you know, or equally. Let me know if uh, if we can help in any way because it'd be great to to do some bits together.